Tulsa, Billmore Church. I feel so welcome. I feel right at home back in the 828. It's great to be back with my people at Biltmore today. Uh, Pastor Bruce asked me several months ago if I could preach for him today, and it's always an honor to serve Pastor Bruce. He is one of my closest friends, and I say this every time I preach here because it's true. You are so blessed to have a leader who has such a shepherd's heart, such a love for Jesus, such a love for the people of God. I count it an honor to be his friend, and I count it an honor to preach for you guys today. I brought my girlfriend with me today. We've been dating for 22 years, 20 of those we've been married. We just celebrated our 20th anniversary. She's on the front. Shari looks so cute today. I can't wait to kiss you on the lips later on. Hey, a lot of great things are happening in the Biltmore world. I want to mention a few of those to you before I dive into the text today. I've only got two and a half hours to preach, so I need to be careful with my time. Don't encourage me. Um, At every campus, I want to tell you what's going to be happening today after we finish our services. At every campus in the lobby, there is going to be a table, and it's going to be a table dedicated for students to sign up for summer camp. Summer camp begins a week from tomorrow. A week from tomorrow. And these people love Jesus way more than you. Do you hear that? So this summer camp is a partnership that we've loved having with Biltmore Church for several years. Biltmore Camp takes place at Anderson University, which is about an hour and a half from the Asheville area. And uh, we partner up with our ministry at Crossroads with the student ministry here at Biltmore. And Zach and his team have done such a phenomenal job putting that together. And we're so thankful that we're gonna be able to work with them. Started several years ago, Adam Hatton and I came up with this crazy idea. Hey, what would happen if we could do camp together? And Biltmore Camp is phenomenal, and hundreds and hundreds of your students are going to be coming, and I'll be kicking that off on Monday night. It's going to be an awesome week. So at every single campus, as soon as our service ends today, students, you need to go to that table in the lobby and sign up for Biltmore Camp, okay? And parents, if your student has not yet signed up, you could go ahead and sign them up because you are still the authority in their life. You can make them go to camp. They may not want to, but I promise you they'll thank you. I'm sure that the ones who have gone are excited about it, and we're looking forward to a wonderful time uh, together. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I want to go ahead and uh, get our Bibles ready to go. If you have a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 and one verse in Colossians chapter 4. When Pastor Bruce asked me if I would be willing to preach on this passage of Scripture, I said yes, because I love a challenge. So I want to go ahead and let you know, as we continue in this series through the book of Colossians, we see that Christ is exalted above all. And that really is the heart of Paul's gospel. It's the heart of the entire New Testament, and it's specifically the heart of the book of Colossians. But as I enter into this passage of scripture, I need to give some context because context is everything. And uh, when Pastor Bruce said, you can either preach on this passage or you can pick another one, I said, no, I want to take this one because I love preaching about and talking about marriage and I love preaching about the family. 
It's also really neat for me to be able today as we begin this message to let you know that not only are we gonna be talking about marriage today, but I'm really happy to announce to you, go ahead and get your phone out and and save this date because I would love for all of you to be here. Uh, We're gonna be able to do something really special this fall. Our ministry at Crossroads is partnering with Biltmore Church and 106.9 The Light and some other organizations and we're holding our very first ever Crossroads Marriage Conference. And it's actually gonna be right here in Asheville. It's gonna be at the brand new campus that you just launched. It's gonna be at the Biltmore East Campus. My wife and I are gonna be there. Uh, James and Michelle Myers, who are part of this church, they're gonna be there as well. And there's gonna be lots of fun. There'll be food trucks, there'll be teaching and workshops and all kinds of great resources for married couples. And you are all invited. It's November the 1st and the 2nd at the Biltmore East Campus, and we're going to be talking about marriage and how your marriage can thrive and how your marriage can be an outpost for the kingdom of God in a world that desperately needs to know his love. Well, let's go ahead and look in Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to start off today in verse 17, okay? Verse 17, I've got my Bible with me. The scriptures are going to be on the screen. And if you have a Bible, you can look along. And if you don't have a Bible, then you can watch on the screens. Let's read these scriptures together. I'm gonna go straight through the text and then I'm gonna back up and give you the context for the text. And I hope that you will not go into this passage of scripture with a defensive posture, but that you will come in with an open heart as we see the text and the context and we learn what we can take from it today, 2,000 years after it was written. Here's what the Apostle Paul has to say in Colossians 3, 17 and following. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. And we'll pause there for a moment. He is going to now begin to talk about marriage and the Christian home. And he's going to give some insight and some instruction for husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and slaves. Before we dive into that, before we get into verse 18, I want to let you know that this important context exists before we read this. Paul is actually alluding to a very famous, popular, and well-known philosopher named Aristotle. You've probably heard of Aristotle. If you studied any form of world history growing up in school or in college, you know that there were three famous Greek philosophers, Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle. Aristotle, who was a Greek philosopher, had written some things and had taught about the home and about the building block of all culture. We know that marriage is the building block of all societies and all cultures. There is no government without marriage. There is no public education without marriage. There are no nations without marriage. There is no such thing as culture without marriage. Marriage is, always has been, always will be the basic cornerstone of all cultures. Aristotle had written and taught much on the importance of marriage. And in his writings, Aristotle, these these writings were widely circulated in the ancient world, widely known and widely read. He taught in 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 three groups of two. He taught about the relationship between a husband and a wife. He taught about the relationship between parents and children. 
And he taught about relationships between masters and slaves and servants. And Paul is going to allude to, borrow from, leverage what was already well known in the ancient world among his Greek and Roman and even Jewish friends. And he is going to take that framework of husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and slaves and servants, and he is going to, listen, turn it upside down. He's going to go completely against everything that people have heard because what people had heard and been taught was that men were superior to women and women were inferior to men. In that culture and in that time, everyone believed that parents had authority over children and children were to be seen and not heard, that children really didn't have a lot of value except for the fact that little boys were the purveyors of the bloodline or the DNA from the father's lineage and little girls would grow up to be mothers who would give birth to children, hopefully a male heir to the family name and the family DNA line. So before we go into verse 18, I want you to hear with the ears of a Roman or a Jewish Christian in the first century, not with the ears of a 21st century American primarily. We're all 21st century Americans. We cannot divorce our own context from this passage of scripture, but to properly understand it, Let's get into the mindset of what it meant to the people it was originally written to. And you will see that what this passage is about, that what this scripture is about is Jesus creating kingdom culture in the world. He's changing everything. He is completely throwing out the ancient wisdom that the world believed Men are superior to women. Parents are superior to children. Masters are superior to slaves. Slaves aren't even humans. And what Paul is doing is he's taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and he's saying because of the gospel, a new kingdom is being established on earth as it is in heaven. And every Christian marriage and every Christian home and every husband and wife relationship, and every parent and child relationship, and yes, even every master and servant relationship, if they are followers of Jesus Christ, is a small little tiny kingdom outpost in a dark world where the light has come and the darkness could not overcome it. Every Christian home, every marriage is a little version of the gospel that other people will see and hear that every husband and wife relationship is an example of the relationship that Christ has with his church. And so as you hear what Paul says here, understand that Christ is exalted above all and because Christ is resurrected from the dead, literally died and literally came back from the dead, all things are new, everything has changed, it's a brand new world we're living in. And there is a kingdom being built in this world and that kingdom is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is within us and the kingdom of God is outside of us and the kingdom of God is now and the kingdom of God is not yet and the kingdom of God is small and sometimes almost imperceptible but the kingdom of God is unstoppable and powerful and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it and Satan cannot destroy it. The hair on my arms is standing straight up right now. 
If y'all clap and say amen, I might go a little crazy. I'm just saying, I wanna hear y'all from Franklin, so let's go. All right, I'm, I got two hours left. Let's get, let's, get to, let's get to work here. All right, let's go to the next verse. With that understood, let's go to verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, before I unpack that verse, I wanna move quickly on to the next verse. There are so, by the way, there are so many preacher jokes. Scott, I know you've heard them. Carl, I know you've heard them. There are so many preacher jokes, you know. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give you one. I got dad jokes and preacher jokes. I got dad jokes for days, y'all. I'm gonna tell you right now. Dad jokes for days, because my kids are 16 and 13. But I got preacher jokes too. Here, here's what my pastor told me. He goes, you know, when my wife and I got married, I quoted the verse to her that said, wives, submit to your husbands. And we decided that we'd compromise because Ephesians 5 says, submit to each other in all things uh, in reverence for Christ. And so the pastor said, we decided that in our marriage, she would make all the small decisions and I would make all the big decisions. And after 38 years of marriage, we have yet to make a big decision. They've all been small. Now, come on, people, that's funny. I don't care who you are or how bad your arthritis hurts today. That is funny. But in order for us to understand wives submitting to, to husbands, we need to understand the command in the following verse because there is context here. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. There is another translation. This is the Christian Standard Bible. Another translation says, don't be harsh with them. Yet another translation says, do not treat them in a rough way. Now, I could stop here, but I wanna go through the entire text to show you that he is following a line of thought and a line of logic that does, listen, that does not adhere to the old Aristotelian Greek philosophy. He is espousing a new kingdom reality where men are not superior to women, where parents do not have more value than children, and where masters are told that you must treat your servants and slaves in a different way than you've ever heard anyone tell you to treat them. The next verse says, children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, some of you right now should be taking screenshots of this and texting it to your kids, <laughs> right? Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Notice that Paul is doing something really interesting here. When he tells wives to submit to their husbands, he uses the Lord, it is fitting to the Lord, as a reason why wives should submit themselves. When he tells husbands to love their wives, he uses the Lord as the reason why. It is for Christ's sake that husbands should love their wives. When he instructs children to obey their parents, he uses the Lord as the reason for that obedience. This 
this is not about submission to earthly authority. This is about submission to God and his lordship over our lives. This is about submitting ourselves fully and joyfully to a brand new kingdom that God is building where there is no slave or free, where there is no male or female, where there is no rich or poor in heaven, where I believe there will be black and white and Latino and African-American and Asian-American and we'll all be at the same table feasting on the same grace at the feet of the same Jesus and we'll celebrate and worship Jesus who is not white, he's Jewish. My goodness, y'all, he's mocha, he's not vanilla. So this is what this passage is. Oh, y'all, man, y'all keep doing this. You just don't know. I will come off the stage. I'll get out there with you. I ain't scared. So children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. There, there is more. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. The word exasperate Simply in my mind, when I think of exasperate, I think of aggravate. Don't be rough with your kids. Don't provoke them to anger. Don't, don't speak to them in such a way that you discourage your children. Again, the, oh my goodness, y'all, this is so revolutionary in the ancient Roman world for Paul to say this. No one ever said this because no one believed this. But I'm not done. I'm getting ahead of myself. Next verse. Slaves. I told you this is a tough passage of scripture. Obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. And I want to pause here and be as clear and as plain as I can be. When I was a kid, I used to go to black church a lot. It's part of the reason why I preach the way I preach. White preachers need some black preacher in them. I'm telling you straight up. And I used to go to black church a lot. And I used to, I, when, when, the, when the pastor would be preaching, I would hear people say, make it plain, pastor. In other words, say it so I can hear it. Don't beat around the bush. Tell me exactly what you're trying to say. And I wanna be as plain, I wanna make it plain for y'all this morning. This is not a passage of scripture to defend the institution of slavery. It's not. As a matter of fact, you can go on in Paul's writings and you can see that Paul actually says that slave traders will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is because of the gospel in this new kingdom that slavery ended. William Wilberforce, by the way, in Great Britain, spent decades through the legal system trying to fight slavery and they ended slavery in Great Britain without ever firing a shot. It took us a civil war and over 700,000 people dead for us to, to get that scourge out of our country. And even though slavery in America does not exist the way it used to, racism still does. And it is our job, our responsibility, our calling as the people of God to name it, to call it out, and to not tolerate it, and not hide it, and slip it up under a rug somewhere. We need to call racism what it is. It is a, dem it is a demonic theology that says one person is better than the other because of the color of their skin or because of their DNA. It is not the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ, not the government of the United States, should be on the front lines fighting against it every single day. What is revolutionary, 
What is, what is revolutionary about this passage of scripture is simply this, and I wanna pause here before I, well, you know what, nope, nope, let's go, I, I, let's go. Next verse, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Do you see how every time he instructs, he instructs in light of the Lordship of Christ. When he tells husbands to love their wives, he does it in light of the Lordship of Christ and how tender and loving Jesus was towards us. When he instructs wives to submit themselves to their husbands, he does it in light of the Lordship of Christ. For who better than Jesus Christ to be a model and example for us of what submission looked like. Though he was God and was equal with God, Paul would write to the church in Philippi, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and held on to. But what did he do? He submitted himself. Jesus emptied himself and became a man, and he came to this earth. John 1, 1 says, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, pitched his tent among us, moved into our neighborhood, went into the projects in the inner cities, got down in the dirt, on the ground, with people who were broken and who were busted and who had no hope. He became one of us, and then what did he do? Submitted himself. Jesus said it over and over again. John 14, 15, 16, 17, I don't do anything on my own. Everything I do, I do because the Father has told me. I do not speak of my own accord. Everything I say, I say because I heard the Father say it. And guess what? Me and my heavenly Father, we are one. We are unified. What greater form of submission than for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Gethsemane means the wine press, a place of crushing, for the weight of the crush of the cross to be upon him, so much so that the stress made his capillaries under the skin burst so that when sweat came out of his sweat pores, blood from burst capillaries came out with it. It's a medical condition called hemodrosis. And in that moment, Jesus won the battle in the garden before he won the war on the cross when he said to his heavenly father, if there is any other way, for me to save my people. Can you please show me? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So when Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells husbands to love their wives, he uses Jesus as the model for that sacrificial dying to self-love. When he tells wives to submit themselves to their husbands, he uses Jesus, the king of this new kingdom, as the example of total submission, who not only submitted his life to his heavenly father, but submitted his body to the cross for you and for me. And when he tells fathers to not treat their children harshly, to not exasperate their children, to not discourage their children, who is he alluding to? Who is he pointing to? Who is he mentioning? He's mentioning the Lord. He's talking about God, our heavenly father. What better example could we emulate in our homes and our families, moms and dads, than God himself who does not treat his children harshly? who does not speak discouragement to us, 
who does not tell us how terrible we are. He simply points out our sin so that we can be born again and change from the inside out. What better example than God? So when you hear this passage of scripture, or when you see someone in our media attack Christianity or attack the traditional church or attack our beliefs as evangelical Christians by saying that church or that Christianity is hyper-patriarchal and that men lord their power over women. First of all, we have to own it when it really happened. And if it's ever happened, we need to own it and we need to repent of it. We need to also have enough understanding from the scripture to say it was never God's intent for husbands to be the Lord over their wives, or for parents to be the Lord over their children, or for masters to be the Lord over their servants and slaves. It was only ever God's design that we thrive in the happiest form of life when we are submitted under the Lordship of Jesus Christ to serve and care for each other. That's my introduction. <laughs> and I've got 17 minutes to wrap it up. You wanna take bets on whether or not it'll happen? This is so important for us because our marriages, our families, our homes, our kingdom outposts, where God has broken through the darkness of our world and planted kingdom people. The next verse says this knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. So when I love Shari and I am patient with her and kind with her, or when I repent to her because I lost my temper and I spoke harshly to her, which may or may not have happened a couple of weeks ago <laughs> on a Thursday afternoon, and it took three hours for us to fight through it, and I cried. I am serving the Lord as I serve her. Wives, when you, and by the way, when he says to submit yourselves fully to your husband in the previous verse, the word submit is a Roman military word. It means to align at a mark. That's what it means to submit. To align at a mark. So really to submit yourself to your husband, wives, does not mean that you do whatever he says. That's never what Paul taught. If you go back to Ephesians 5, you'll see that Paul would write, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And under that context, he will say that husbands love their wives and wives honor and respect their husbands. So wife, when your husband is about to make a really bad decision, and I know that that's never happened in your marriage, I'm just saying it probably does somewhere, right? Somewhere out there in the world. And you just don't have a good feeling about it. Because you know, God's given you women that sixth sense, that ability, that intangible thing. You just don't feel good about stuff. It's like your spotty sense kicks in. And your husband's about to do something and there's no reason why he shouldn't do it. It makes sense. It's a business investment or someone he's gonna hire or a job he's gonna take or he's decided y'all gonna sell the house and make a big profit and cash in on some of the equity or he's about to move a, a retirement account to this other thing or he's about to buy this vehicle, this truck. And, and you just in your heart, wives, you, you're like, I just don't have a good feeling about it. If your husband truly loves you as Christ loved the church, 
then he will submit to your wisdom and he will say, okay, then we'll wait. If your husband is not yet at that place and he does not submit to your wisdom, then guess what you get to do, wife? You get to submit and you get to say, okay, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right. We'll do what you say. And I will guarantee you that nine times out of nine, your husband will find that the Holy Spirit was speaking to you. And maybe your husband didn't listen because your husband needed to learn a lesson about listening to the Holy Spirit and listening to you. I joke that there are actually four members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and Shari. And she'll tell you, she's sitting on the front row, she will confirm this. The biggest mistakes I've made in the last 22 years of my life were the times when I did not love her as I was instructed from the scripture, when she had a bad feeling or a weird emotion or a check in her spirit or a caution or a pause and I plowed through like a stubborn, hard-headed man. I have regretted it every single time. So we will receive a reward. What reward? An inheritance. From who? From the Lord. Why? Because we serve the Lord Christ. When I am loving my wife, when I am encouraging my children, when I am listening to her, I am serving the Lord. When you submit yourself to your husband, ladies. Oh, and by the way, that was also a form of Paul. Listen, Paul was lifting up the value of women in a culture where women had very little value compared to men. So what Paul is saying to a woman when he says, submit yourself to your husband, he is saying, as you submit yourself, it's not just a physical submission of your body, it is also an emotional submission of your soul because very few people in the ancient Roman world married for love. They married for money, they married for alliances and family allegiances, and they primarily married so that a woman could give her husband a son. Baby girls were oftentimes discarded in the ancient world. It reminds me a lot of America today and how we discard the value of babies in the womb and even outside the womb. Little girls were oftentimes thrown away, left for wild animals to eat, but it wasn't just little baby girls. When a dad wanted a son and his wife could not provide him a son, oftentimes the girls were sold into slavery or left for dead or discarded or thrown away, but it was also the wives who could be thrown away. If a wife could not produce <clears throat> a son for her husband, he could divorce her. He could leave her. Do you see how revolutionary this is? Do you see how crazy this is for Paul to say, women, give yourselves totally, submit yourselves to your husbands? He's saying, if your husband is following Christ and he has been instructed to love you like Jesus loved the church, then I'm gonna encourage you women, trust your husbands. Don't just trust your husband. Let me say it more clearly. Trust the Holy Spirit who is in your husband, sanctifying your husband. Trust the Holy Spirit as he is teaching your husband to not be like most Roman husbands in Colossae, but to be like Christian husbands. Because husbands back then, a majority of them had a wife at home and then they had lovers on the side. A man didn't marry a woman so that they could be intimate with each other sexually. A man married a woman so she would give him a son. If he wanted to have sexual intimacy, he had prostitutes and concubines for that. 
And so it's revolutionary for Paul to say to husbands, don't just arrange a marriage for an alliance with a woman so that you can have a child or so that two families with money and property and farms can come together and build a bigger estate. Marry a woman because she is made in the image of God. She is an image bearer and so are you. And the two of you together can become this kingdom outpost for the gospel. Husbands, love your wives. That's revolutionary. In other words, don't go love other women. Don't go down to the brothel. Did you know that in Ephesus, by the way, the language from Colossians chapter three is very similar to the language from Ephesians chapter five. It's one of the reasons we know Paul wrote both of them. Did you know that in Ephesus, which was a sister city to Colossae, you can go there today and you can visit one of the most well-preserved ruins of the Roman world. It's called the Library at Ephesus. You've seen it before, I'm sure, if you watch Rick Steves Europe or if you watch any kind of historical documentary. It's a beautiful facade of one of the oldest buildings in the world with these big, beautiful stone columns. And did you know that in Ephesus, what I'm telling you was so pronounced that men would say to their wives, I'm going to go down to the library and read. The men would go to the library and they would walk through the front doors. And then they would walk to the back of the library and they would open up a secret door for the richest, wealthiest men in Ephesus. That door would lead them downstairs, underground. Then that, that little pathway would go underneath the main road of Ephesus. And as they would walk underneath the main road of Ephesus, they would come up some stairs on the other side of the road and they would emerge inside a brothel where they would spend their afternoon sleeping with women in the Roman baths with other men, with other women. And then they would finish their day, they would go back to the library and go back home and wives had to live in submission to that kind of relationship. And that wasn't just one in a thousand, that was a majority of women in the ancient world. And here comes Jesus of Nazareth. And what does Jesus do? Jesus reveals himself to women. Did you know the first person Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to finish in eight minutes and 37 seconds. Did you know that Jesus first revealed himself verbally as the Messiah to a woman? John chapter four, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Did you know that? Did you know that the first person to verbally declare the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was a woman? And do you know why they proclaimed it first? Because they went to the tomb first. The disciples were in the upper room scared for their lives. And the women with boldness filled with love go to the tomb and they find that Jesus is not there. Then they see him resurrected and they go back to the upper room and they tell the disciples, we've seen him, we've seen the Lord. So when Paul says what he's saying, he is revolutionizing marriage. It's not Paul doing it, it's Jesus doing it. And we're gonna receive a reward. From who? From the Lord. Why? Because we serve the Lord Christ. And then, verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done. And there is no favoritism, revolutionary. There was favoritism in the Roman world. It was all about favoritism. If you had money, you got treated differently. If you were rich, if you were a Roman general, if you retired from the Roman military, you got whatever you wanted. You did, favoritism was the flavor of the day. You know what Paul is saying? Not anymore. In the kingdom of God, we are all sinners saved by grace. In the kingdom of God, there are no rock stars. In the kingdom of God, there are no superstars. 
In the kingdom of God, it is a level playing field. In the kingdom of God, those who live in poverty and those who live in wealth all come to Jesus by the same road, faith. In the kingdom of God, everybody has to repent if they're gonna have life, everybody. There is no favoritism. And if you treat someone wrongly, you will be repaid. Husbands, if you speak harshly to your children and you discourage them, you're gonna pay for that. And it's not so much that God's gonna punish you, it's that your children will feel disconnected from you and later on you will live out those kinds of consequences. Husbands, if you refuse to love your wife and you cheat on them and you've got a woman on the side in this town and a lady on the side in this town and you're on Facebook reconnecting with old flames and flirting, or maybe you're pulling up Tinder when you're out of town on a business trip. Some of y'all don't know what Tinder is. The only reason I know is because I heard somebody talk about it. If you don't know what it is, do not look it up. It's awful, it's, go- it's ungodly. It's right up there with like unsweetened tea and skim milk, it's that bad. And decaf coffee. You cheat on your wife, you treat her disrespectfully, you, you ignore her emotionally for the sake of your career, you ignore your marriage so you can make more money, you're gonna pay for that, you're gonna pay for that. So the way the Romans do it is wrong. The way the Greeks do it is wrong. The way some of you Jews even do it, it's wrong. Let me tell you how the kingdom of God says you do it. You love, and if you do wrong, you're gonna be paid back for it. Wives, if you are harsh toward your husband, if all you ever do is nag and complain and criticize him, if you always have to criticize everything he says and does and you are not willing to submit yourself to him, if you will not give yourself fully to your husband physically and sexually and you withhold that from him, You're gonna pay for that because he's gonna withhold affection from you. And masters, you've got servants and slaves that work for you. They're human beings. They are image bearers of God. You need to treat them well. Now, I need to to give one historical caveat here. When we hear the word slavery in America, we think of one of the darkest seasons of our history, and we should. We should own it and we should grieve it. And the results are still among us today. But in the days of the Roman Empire, oftentimes a servant or a slave that worked inside the home of a wealthy patron, they were literally considered middle class. But you know what Paul is saying? If you are someone who has servants who wait on you hand and foot and you hear the gospel and the gospel changes you, You do not beat them, do not withhold money from them, do not treat them like they belong to you. They don't belong to you, they belong to the Lord. And that is why it is from the pages of scripture that modern day slavery was ended. Because a man like Abraham Lincoln would read what the Bible said and he knew that is not right and it must end. William Wilberforce, who fought for decades to end slavery through the legal process in Great Britain, believed that it was God himself who wanted to liberate people from the shackles and the bondage of slavery. And I wanna go on to the next verse. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly since you know that you too have a master in heaven. It's a new kingdom. It's a new kingdom. And this kingdom has come and this kingdom is being established. Don't think that just because Paul did not say masters free your slaves immediately that that means God condones the awful sin of slavery. 
Remember the context. The New Testament church is a baby church. There is no Bible yet. There's an Old Testament, but there is no New Testament. The New Testament is not written yet. Everything that people know about the life of Jesus, they're hearing it from firsthand accounts of eyewitnesses. And Paul is, is writing letters to Christians in cities, in small churches that met in homes around a table, and he is trying to just begin. He's on the front end of telling people this new kingdom has come and God is changing everything. And before we get too self-righteous, let's remind ourselves of this. It's 2,000 years after Jesus came and was born and was resurrected from the dead after he was crucified on the cross. And we have a Bible and we all have access to the Bible and we are still fighting abortion and we are still fighting racism and we are still fighting against our own sense of superiority over other people. It takes a long time for human beings like us to change, doesn't it? But God is patient. And the Holy Spirit is doing a work inside of us. Why? because he is creating a kingdom culture. And he's doing it in the home. Husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and servants. And what began 2,000 years ago is continuing in us today. I love preaching these hard texts. And I wanna encourage you, go read Ephesians chapter four and five. And go read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The same man who wrote specific things to instruct and correct the church in Colossae also wrote specific things to instruct and correct the church in Ephesus and the church in Corinth. Go read those passages and it will illuminate even more in your mind and your heart to see how we are all called to love the people who are closest to us, how we are called to treat them justly, how we are called to love them in the way that Christ loved the church, to submit ourselves fully to one another as Jesus submitted himself fully to his heavenly father. And our families and our homes, our marriages and our relationships, listen, they are the greatest gospel we'll ever share. You can stand on a street corner in downtown Asheville and you can throw tracks at people as they walk by. And you can yell at them, turn or burn, get right or get left, get saved or get microwaved, and they're gonna cuss you out and blow pot smoke in your face because nobody responds when we jump down people's throats, but people will respond when they see in us a spirit-led change that takes us from selfishness to service, that teaches us to love sacrificially and lay our lives down and submit ourselves fully to the Lord first and then to our families. I pray that this has helped you. I pray it's helped you understand a tough passage of scripture and I pray that it's helped you be inspired that following Jesus is more than just a commitment you made when you were a kid or a teenager, that it's a daily reality led by the spirit where your relationships and your family and your home is an outpost of the kingdom of God in a dark world. Father, I wanna ask you right now across every Biltmore campus this morning, that you take the words we've heard and learned from scripture today and that you would drive them gently and deeply into our souls. Teach us as husbands how to love our wives fully. 
teach wives to completely submit themselves and give themselves body and soul to their husbands. Teach us as parents how to love and encourage and instruct our children. And those of us who have been granted authority in positions of influence, teach us how to act justly and treat people with kindness and fairness. And teach us that all of that activity flows from our submission to the Lordship of Christ. With your eyes closed and your hearts open, before we sing, before we dismiss, I'm wondering uh, today, I like to always invite people to respond if they need to begin a relationship with Jesus. And so there are thousands of us gathered today across Western North Carolina at Biltmore campuses. And I'm just wondering if there's one person right now at one of our campuses you have felt the Holy Spirit tug on your heart. Something has stirred within you. And you realize that Jesus died on the cross in your place and took the penalty you deserved for the sin you're guilty of. And something inside of you is telling you that you need to become a Christian, that you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, that you need to be born again. If you'd like to do that, I'm gonna tell you how. I don't want you to wait until the service is over. I want you to begin a relationship with Jesus right now in this moment. And if you would like to become a part of this kingdom that we've talked about, and if you'd like to submit yourself fully to Jesus and his love, pray this to him right where you sit. Just pray it quietly in your heart. He's listening. Jesus, I need you in my life. I need your love. So I invite you in. Please forgive me for my sin. I put my faith in you, Jesus. I give you my past. I give you my mistakes. I give you my future. I give you everything. Save me right now, Jesus. Thank you for including me in your family. Now with your eyes closed and your hearts open, I'm not gonna make anyone stand up or come forward, but I am gonna ask, and I can only see this campus, but at every campus right now, with nobody looking but me, if you just prayed that prayer to Jesus and you meant it, would you just do something really simple? And then, and then you can put your hand right back down. Would you raise your hand up right now if you just prayed that prayer to Jesus? I'd like to see your hand. Can you raise it? Just raise it and keep it up for just a moment. Raise it and keep it up. Just from where I'm standing, I just want to count. I'm not going to make you stand up. I just want to see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. And put your hands down. Everybody open your eyes and look at me for a second. Just at this campus, 22 people have indicated that they've responded to the gospel today. So we rejoice and celebrate that you have, you have made a decision to begin following Jesus. Let me show you what I'm gonna ask you to do. Uh, there is a, there's a little service guide here and you can fill out this part right here and tear it off and leave it in the lobby as you, as you go. Or here's what I would love for those of you at all of our campuses that just prayed to receive Christ, 22 in this room. We're gonna put a number up on the screen right now. You can take out your phone 
even if you've got a flip phone from 2009 or a Blackberry, text the word follow to 28282. Do that right now. Just text the word follow to 28282. If you'll text that word to us, we'll respond to you and let you know how you can take your next steps as a follower of Jesus Christ. And as one final reminder before we go today, for those of you that are gonna text in, we're gonna sing in just a moment. Students, do not forget, as soon as this service is over, head straight to the lobby and get signed up for Biltmore Camp. And don't forget our marriage conference open to everybody here today, November 1st and 2nd, crossroadsmarriageconference.com is the website for that. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing. Jesus, thank you for what you have done today among us. We rejoice in the power of your kingdom and we celebrate those who have prayed to begin a relationship with you. Do it again in our next gathering. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.